Thank you, Kathy. I'd like you to turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And while you're turning there, maybe you kids can help identify certain things. Now, probably for the past three weeks, you've really become familiar with this. Yours probably looks different than mine, but you'll look at it and all the kids will say, that's a TV remote or a, a, a DVD remote, some kind of a remote. Now, if your kids couldn't identify this, you're doing something right. Uh, but usually, you would be able to identify that. Secondly, you know what this is? And you'll say, well, you'd probably say a puppet, but uh, it's, called, it's a marionette. And you pull wires. Okay, so that's the third, uh, second thing. The third thing to identify is a conductor's baton. Now, you probably are not too familiar with that, but a conductor's baton. What do they all have in common? The remote the marionette, and the conductor's baton. What is common about all three of these? They all need somebody to be in charge. Who's got the remote? Who's got the remote? Who's got the, uh, the, the control? Who's got the control, if you're looking for that? Somebody has to move the strings to make the marionette dance or the puppet dance. Somebody has to hold the baton and and get everybody playing together, playing the right parts, uh, doing that, somebody has to be in, in control. Somebody has to be in charge. And so I entitled this message, Who's in Charge Here? Who's in charge during this time? Uh, during the time of COVID-19, uh, we're thinking, who's in charge? And there's not a lot we can do about it, but we can do some things. And so we listen to those in authority. We listen for their guidance. We listen to President Trump. We listen to uh, the Surgeon General. We listen to uh, uh, Governor Walz. We listen to our mayors if they are putting out any decrees. We listen to those uh, authorities because we want somebody to be in charge. And I think this is a dry run of something that's going to happen in the future, and we won't go there today, but uh, in the future, the world is going to be looking for somebody to be in charge of all of the chaos that uh, begins to happen, uh, looking for somebody who can control the economy, somebody who can control all the world, somebody who can stop the wars. And in Revelation, it describes that person as being the Antichrist. But right now, that is not taking place. So we practice our social distancing, our sheltering in place. We uh, go to the store, certain stores at certain times to buy our, our, make our purchases. And we limit our purchases to, uh, you know, usually one or two. And we wash our hands to the doxology. I hope you're using this time to teach your kids the doxology. Uh, I've sung that over and over and over again. And so I'm praying that, that it might not just be me that is praising God through wa hand washing. We wear our face masks, and that probably will be a, a reality for most of us in the near future, wearing face masks. 
So how does this all relate to Easter season, or in particular, what is called by some the Holy Week, or the Passion Week, the uh, Crucifixion Week, the week between uh, the, uh, the uh, triumphal entry and the crucifixion. How does this relate? I want to read, or we're going to be reading in verse uh, chapter 19, some verses here. But how does it relate to this season? This season is a time of a lot of emotion, roller coaster emotions. From the triumphal entry where everybody is crying out, Hosanna, son of David, and, and they're praising Jesus, and they're recognizing him as Messiah, and then a few days later, they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him. So what emotions were going on during this time, and, and if you spend some time walking with Jesus, and that's what I encourage you to do, walk with Jesus through the gospel accounts. And I think you will cry as you, if you take time to think of what is going on. Uh, you will shed tears when you walk with him to the Garden of Gethsemane. And when you kneel with him there as he's praying and he's crying out, uh, if there be any way, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. And when the angel had to come and encourage Jesus during his time of prayer, we stay long enough with him and we will shed tears. We will shed tears when we read the accounts in Isaiah 52 and 53, when we read Psalm 22 and see what, he was, uh, what was going on uh, when Judah showed up and kissed Jesus on the cheek. Uh, it will make us weep when he was arrested by the soldiers and the apostles flee and leave him there. When he's cursed and denied by Peter, we shed tears. I, I shed tears when I think uh, of the sounds that took place during that time uh, when uh, there's the thunk, thunk of, of uh, fists against Jesus' face and the rod against uh, his uh, head and, and shoulders and uh, just making him so that they could not even identify who it was the swollen face and the bleeding face of Jesus Christ. And to hear that just makes me want to put my hands over my ears and say, I don't want to hear those noises because it brings me to tears. The cry of rejection from the people that cry out, crucify him, crucify him. Then the whipping that takes place by the cat of nine tails, strands of, of leather woven around pieces of steel and uh, shards of pottery and uh, pieces of wood and bones so that designed to, when it strikes across the, the back of an individual, it rips the flesh right from his body. And I see Jesus there with his muscles exposed because he's, they've torn the flesh completely off him, organs exposed because the flesh no longer hides them. I hear the moans, and I don't want to hear the moans, but I hear the moans as they crush the crown of thorns down upon Jesus' head, and, and the head wounds begin to bleed and, and just pour down his beaten face. And when I hear the thunk, thunk 
thunk as they're driving the nails through his, his wrists and through his ankles or through his feet and uh, hear his moans and the dropping of the cross as they lift it up and they drop it into the hole. And I hear those noises and it, it uh, causes a great emotion for me hearing the gasps as those that are on the crosses try to, to get the one more breath. Just They lift up one more time to fill their lungs a little bit before they sag in exhaustion and can't breathe anymore. Now, all of these accounts scream sympathy for Jesus Christ. And this account in uh, the book of John, you would think it was written for sympathy for Jesus Christ for, so that we might, we might be thankful and grateful for what Jesus did. And yes, it does that. This is written, from, uh, written by John, the one that uh, he identifies himself as the one that Jesus loved, the one who was probably the closest to Jesus, the one who would uh, stand by Jesus even at the foot of the cross, the one that Jesus would ask to take care of his mother. And so uh, you would certainly think that he wrote this so that we might uh, be extra grateful, and partly he did. But that's not the real reason he writes this chapter. The real reason he writes this chapter, you will see as I read, begin reading verses 28 and reading through verse 37. This is the real reason he wrote this chapter, and he, he, he repeats it a number of times. After this... Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop or a, a branch uh, of a plant and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation or the Passover, that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day or a holy day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away, break the legs of the ones on the cross, and they would no longer be able to lift up and, and get a last final uh, gasp of air. With their legs broken, they could not and they would suffocate. And so they begged Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. They would die and they could be taken away. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and then of the other, which was crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. John is saying, my record is true. And I know that he, what he said is true, that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Let's pray. Father, as we look for a few minutes at this passage, help us to see the real reason John wrote this for us. Might we recognize it? Might we 
think of this when we go through times of trial, when we go through disasters in our lives or diseases in our lives or surgeries in our lives, might we recognize the point of this passage. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is the point of this passage? Why did he write it? Not just because of all the emotions and uh, let us know the horrors of the crucifixion. He did it because he wanted to us to know that God's in charge. God's in charge here. Whatever we might be going through, God's in charge here. And he says it, uh, I underlined it, that the Scripture might be fulfilled so that all things were now accomplished that the Scripture might be fulfilled. And verse 36, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. And 37, again, another Scripture saith that it might be fulfilled. He wants us to know that God is in charge and not Pilate. Uh, if we look at verse 16, I'm just going to mention a number of things that show that God was in charge from this chapter. Not very, we won't take a long time. Verse 16 said, Then delivered he him therefore unto them. Then Pilate delivered Jesus therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took, took Jesus and led him away. So who delivered him? Well, verse 16, Pilate delivered Jesus to be taken away to be crucified. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, um, Paul says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And Paul is talking about God. So who is delivering Jesus? The uh, governor of Judea or the governor of the universe? Both. God is using the governor of Judea to do his will using Pilate. All the vileness of an unbelief and cowardice and sins of Pilate does not hinder God and his plan one bit. It doesn't change his plan. God uses those. What men meant for evil, God meant for good. He makes the wrath of men to praise him because God is in charge. We aren't gathered uh, through the airwaves today to curse Pilate. We're not gathered here to curse the soldiers. We're not gathered here to curse the Jews. We're not anti-Semitic. We love the Jews. We, uh, we love the Romans. We love those that, uh, that uh, put Jesus to death because it was not their plan. God was in charge. So, uh, through the horror of the crucifixion, we praise God because he was in control right down to the smallest details. And that's what John is trying to get across here, right down to where he led. He was led because that was God's plan. Received a phone call from Jean Collins. We prayed for her earlier uh, today, and she explained how the spots were cancer. And then she said this, Pastor, I know that God is good always, and I know that God is right always because God is in charge. And it's one thing for us to say God is in charge when nothing is going wrong in our lives. Well, when cancer strikes, can you still say, well, God is in charge. I will continue to praise his name. I will continue to thank him. Here, uh, 
during Passion Week, we're watching the Old Testament uh, come alive because of all the, oh, mostly because of the cross. Uh, Jesus is the master of his fate. No man took his life from him. He says, I lay down my life for you. No one could touch him apart from it being God's plan. The final sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross was just a fulfilling of all the thousands of sacrifices that took place in the Old Testament until this final sacrifice could happen. So Isaiah 53 said he was led to the slaughter, led to slaughter as a sheep. They did, uh, Pilate delivered him, and it says, and led him away. Why? Because that was God's plan. And he described it 700 years before Jesus came. Here, uh, historians describe uh, the crucifixion as the most brutal of all executions. And they describe it was customary for the victims to be dragged or driven, cursing and screaming, uh, driven with uh, uh, rods or driven with whips. To, and some of them died before they made it to the place of execution. But not with Jesus. He was led. Willingly, no resistance, no panic, no struggle, no cursing, only determination. He was going to complete his Father's will. Isaiah 53, 7. We looked at verses 5 and 6 of Isaiah 53 last week. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was brought as a lamb to slaughter. Just what happened. Why? Because God was in charge. The Jewish leadership thought they were in charge. The Roman soldiers thought they were in charge. But we know, through the scripture even, that it was God who was in charge. He was led to the slaughter. He was hurried to his death. Verses 17 and 18, they talk about just, it was boom, 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 and he was on the cross. And that wasn't the way they did it. Uh, the Romans would crucify someone. But in Isaiah 53, 8, it says he was taken from death, uh, taken to his death from prison and from judgment. His death was hurried here. Uh, normally, they would take you from prison to judgment to be tried, back to prison again for two years, uh, for two days, so that any... Uh, information that would come up to prove he was innocent, uh, then he would be taken to uh, judgment, to the crucifixion. And that did not happen. And it was because in Isaiah, God said he was going to be taken from prison to judgment and to the cross. Just what happens here in the account. Not the Roman way of doing things, but every detail is in God's plan. And it would be fulfilled. The Roman laws couldn't change God's plan. Uh, the, uh, our laws today can't change God's plan. Our president can't change God's plan. COVID-19 can't change God's plan at all. You know, sometimes we think we're in charge. We are not. God is in charge. He is in control. Verse 17 of John 19 
that, that he was bearing his cross and went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. He bore his cross, and that's what he, the plan was. He was going to carry his cross. Now, he carried it until he collapsed there at the gate as he goes, was going out of the city, um, Genesis 6, uh, Genesis 22, 6. Gave us a picture of this when Abraham put the uh, piled the the sticks and the wood on Isaac's back so that he would carry it up to uh, the the uh, place where he was going to be sacrificed, and he bore his own wood, and Jesus would bear his cross, the instrument of his crucifixion, a picture. Why? Because it was God's plan. He was in charge. Number four, he was going to suffer outside the city, verse 17 in John 19. Suffer outside the city. Why? Because Exodus 29, 14 says that the sin offering was taken outside the gate and offered outside the camp. And Jesus was the ultimate, the final sin offering offered for sin. And we celebrate the Lord's table uh, because it's a memorial to what Jesus did as he became our sin offering for us outside the gate, just the way God planned it. Uh, where did he die? He had to die outside the city. Why? God said so. Hebrews 13 talks of that as well. At verse 18, he was crucified, fulfills many prophecies. Number 20, Numbers 21, the, the, Moses holding up the pole uh, holding the pole up with the serpent on it. They had to look and believe that they could be healed. And Jesus became sin for us. We look to him and we can have our sin forgiven. Why? Because that's God's plan. And God is in charge. Uh, Jesus would be crucified. The Romans had to be in, in charge of Israel at this time. They had to be the authority. Jews could only stone. And so if they would have stoned Jesus, it wouldn't have been God's plan. It wasn't the picture that had been shown to us throughout the Old Testament. It didn't fulfill the prophecies. He had to be lifted up. Uh, Psalm 22, the picture of the cross, the ugly scene there. He had to be crucified. And so the, the Romans, they were the ones that brought crucifixion. And that's the only way. Roman, Rome had to be in charge of Israel during that time. So what Jesus experienced before and on the cross, it was terrible. Not just the crucifixion, but uh, because thousands of others were crucified. But Jesus took our sins upon himself. And only those that spend an eternity in a literal hell suffering for their sin will understand what Jesus went through as he hung on the cross, paid the price for us. And the sixth uh, prophecy fulfilled here in verse 18 is he was numbered with the transgressors. They, he, was hang, he hung with these uh, others that deserved to die. And Isaiah 53, 9 says he was numbered with the transgressors. He was in the midst of sinners. But isn't that where he always found Jesus? I mean, he, he found Jesus with sinners when he walked upon this earth, so much so that the Pharisees said, why, why, uh, he's a friend of sinners, like it was a curse. No, he was a friend of sinners, and it's a blessing because he was my friend, and he saved me. He forgave my sin when I looked to the cross. He said, the whole don't need a doctor or physician. 
It's the sick that need a physician, and, and we're the ones that need him. And he still saves souls today. He's a friend of sinners. He was numbered with the transgressors. He became sin so that I might have a home in heaven with him for eternity. The seventh thing, they parted his garments. This is just a picture of, of Psalm uh, 22. They, and also the description of the coat, also the description we read in other places in Scripture. They didn't break his legs. Why? Because that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was no bone in his body will be broken. Who's in charge here? God's in charge. Uh, a historian and a preacher, Canon Lydon, says that there were 332 distinct prophecies in the Old Testament that are literally fulfilled in Christ. And that doesn't count all of the types and the pictures that we see of Jesus in the Old Testament. And the probability of that happening, uh, all those prophecies being fulfilled in one person, was one in 84 with 100 zeros behind it. And what he was saying is, it is not possible. This could not happen. But it did. Why? Because God's in charge. It was God's plan. And, uh, and when he said it is finished, he meant it is finished. The price had been paid. My sin was forgiven. Uh, I can... I can come to him, and, and as I did, and I laid my sin at his feet, and he gave me his righteousness, and he took my sin upon himself. He did that when he went to the cross. And I can trust Jesus. The song that Kathy sang, I can trust Jesus. His promise, any of the, he made all of these promises before he came. He's given us tons of promises, many, many promises, and I can count on Jesus what he says and says in Scripture, will come true. I was sent a quote. Don't worry. Stand on, con stand on God's promises. They won't break. We, we can stand on his promises. What he says will happen. John, in verse 35, said his testimony is true. You can believe it. In fact, you better believe it. If you do, you gain life, life, and life eternal. If you don't, you will hear someday, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. God is in charge. Whatever you're going through, God is in charge. The bad news you might hear, God is in charge. Turn to him. Pray to him. Praise to him. He is in charge, but as many as receive him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Believe it, God is in charge. Let's pray. Father, I don't know the spiritual condition of those that might be within the hearing of my voice, but my prayer, Lord, is that their hearts will be softened and if they have not already given their hearts to Jesus Christ, they have, if they have not already prayed and, and cried out to uh, the, Jesus as Savior, Lord, save me, please. Forgive me, save me, that they might do that now. 
for those that are going through terrible times, help them to realize that you're in charge. And that even through these times, they can say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. They might not understand it, but they can still say, thank you, Lord. They can believe it, that you're in charge. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.